brings the Z in Abba. Um, you know what they see, say, Zayamia, here we go again. Zamamia, Zazazia. Here we go again. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Raise a Glass, the podcast where we talk about the stories and storytellers that shape us. I am Hunter Danson. And I am Eric Lintelva. <laughs> and we have a uh, first uh, episode. <laughs> it's, it's a grab bag episode. Uh, <laughs> which uh, we will get into, a, we'll explain in a minute. <laughs> I'm so excited uh, about this episode. Yeah, yeah, I hope it, we'll see it. We, we might do it again if it goes well, um, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, um, we'll see how it translates. Yeah, but first I got to know uh, what's in your glass, Eric. Hunter, I have something today that I know you have also drank with me before. I have Talisker Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. Oh um, man! Double matured in Amoroso cask wood, distilled in 2005, bottled in 2015. It is a 10-year single malt Scotch ale. Of course, I did try mm-hmm. it, and then I put three drops of water in it, as we both know, to open up the flavor. Mm-hmm. <sighs> warms the belly and warms the soul. Mm. Is that the one that it tastes like crashing, like a wave crashing on the rocks? <laughs> Of Scottish Shore, on the, is that the one on the uh, the mossy covered rocks? Yes, yes, can, on um, the moss. Yeah. So this is Tasker. I really enjoy this. It's not my favorite of Scotch, um, but from the rugged western shores of the Isle of Skye comes a richly fla- flavored maritime malt with a warming afterglow, so easy to enjoy yet, like Skye itself, so hard to leave. Mm. Uh, and it is my second to last glass of it. You'll see. <laughs> barely any left. Yeah. I thought I was going to give myself a double, but I was like, mm. yeah, no, I haven't had any whiskey in a very well, long while. I'm uh, yeah. not going to do that. Um, and I have a full Nalgene, or now about half a Nalgene of water. Uh, Hunter, what is in your glass today? <laughs> well, I I actually do have some alcohols in the house that are interesting. but. Um, I forgot that I was supposed to give blood today, so, um, which I did. Uh, so I have a I have a ginger beer, nice summit ginger beer, sparkling, non-alcoholic. Um, and you can taste it in your nose. I could I like felt the swallow when you swallowed. That was a very <laughs> strong swallow. I think that was that was the sound of the bottle when I tilted it up. It did one of those mm. glug sounds. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, pretty spicy, but well, Eric, I doubt that you actually want to pour any of that whiskey out of the glass. Um, <laughs> but I I gotta know. Uh, what are you raising that glass for and, and maybe tipping it out for this week? Yeah, I am raising a glass to gardens. 
maybe I've done this recently, but I love my garden. And my friend came over this past weekend and helped me build three new raised garden beds mm. um, that we then filled with compost. I filled with compost. I'm going to start planting root, uh, veggies in them soon. We've got another uh, garden bed I'm going to build. I already got the wood for. And then I'm going to build a strawberry um, tower. So I'm going to have like a dozen or more strawberries on a like a pretty, I don't know, four by four by four space that has like a tubing in it for water and then dirt. Um, so I can have vertical strawberries instead of horizontal. Um, and I've gotten to know so many neighbors through gardening. Um, my neighborhood's part of something called Blocks and Bloom, um, which is uh, through an organization in our area. And it's focused on helping different neighbors in the city of Rochester get to know each other and beautify their front uh, of their houses uh, mm-hmm. through gardening. And so, yeah, probably 20, well, 20 different pots of plants for wow. free this past wow. week. And which probably counted all together is probably about a hundred different plants. Hmm that I got. Um, and so I love that. Um, I am pouring one out though for the central Canada wildfires. Oh, um, I don't know if you're experiencing it where you are, oh, yeah. but yeah, we got you know, a lot of smoke, low, low air quality here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you can see it in the sky. And so, um, yeah. I'm praying that they're able to get those under, under, um, control as much as possible. Um, and that, you know, nobody loses their lives or nobody, I haven't really been watching anything about it, but, um, it just has me, I don't know, I'm feeling about that. Yeah. Reminds me of, um, I lived in Beijing. The sky mm. was just always gray and it wasn't clouds. Um, and then when we were in Boise, they had wildfires too. And, it's all hazy. Can you happened. tell me what this wild, with this, uh, then based off that experience, I've never seen something with an air quality index before. Yeah. What is good air quality? Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers. I had an app that I would check every day to see whether I should wear a mask or not. I mean, really, I probably should have worn a mask every day, but, um, it's the PP, PPM, I think, parts per million in the air. Okay. Oh, so you want something that zero is good? Yeah. The lower the better. Oh, okay. So we have now, we are now in red here. Yep. So green, yellow, orange, red, purple, maroon. Um, we are at air quality index of 174 which is probably the highest air, air quality index I've ever seen. Yeah, that's pretty high. Um, it says with where we're at, some gr- members of the general public may experience health effects. Members of sensitive groups may experience more serious health effects. Yeah. Um, yeah, so not good. Yeah, we're at 139 in Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, Okay. What about you, Hunter? What are you raising glass and pouring one out for? 
I am raising a glass to Jane Austen. Um, my wife has been reading Sense and Sensibility, um, but she got a couple of movies out from the library and we watched uh, the miniseries of Pride and Prejudice with um, Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. Okay. Um, and so an older one, uh, but it is really quite good. I, I had seen the Joe Wright, uh, directed by Joe Wright with um, Kira Knightley as Elizabeth Bennett. I've seen that one a few times. So first one seeing the Colin Firth one and, and it was, it was good. Um, you get more in it because it's a mini series and it's longer. So you get more dialogue, which Jane Austen's dialogue is just fantastic. So <laughs> funny. Um, so witty. And she has such clarity and she's mm. so deft at, um, exposing hypocrisy and uh, <laughs> creating characters that are believable and uh, fun to watch and fun to be around. Um, mm -hmm. she, Jane Austen's really like, Virginia Woolf, uh, you know, said that other than Shakespeare, Jane Austen was probably the only other person who wrote, whose poetry was devoid of bitterness. His poetry was pure. Mm. Um, so maybe someday we will get to do Jane Austen because I do have some yeah. history with I'd Pride and Prejudice. Um, but you'd, you'd go for Pride and Prejudice? <clears throat> Is that? Come on. Got to go deeper cut. Yeah, I deeper mean, cut. there's Emma and there's, there's, I mean, of course, but I, I have some personal history with Pride and Prejudice. Uh, I read it in seventh grade. It's my first seventh exposure. Grade. Yep. Okay. In Mrs. Callender's humanities class. Northanger Abbey. That's what I did uh, relatively, oh. I guess, a year ago. Not a big fan, honestly. That was not a great one uh, for me. Um, a little bit different story than some of others. But yes, I'd love to do uh, Jane Austen at some point, and I'll stop there. What are you yeah. pouring one up for? <laughs> Um, I'm pouring one out for car stuff. Ugh, I'm with you on that. I oh, is that a timing belt? It's a serpentine belt. Mm. I have to replace the serpentine belt in a our van, which is really long overdue. But uh, I've never done it. But you can learn a lot from the internet. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'll only have to spend $16 on this belt rather than, you know, $150 to get it at a mechanic. But um, cars are just money pits. They start depreciating the moment you buy them. And it's always, it's always just like playing roulette sometimes. You go out and you start to hear a weird noise or something and you bring it into the shop and then you play roulette it's like how much money am i going to lose now you never win money um <laughs> you just always lose it a good car. mechanic means a lot sure yeah uh, but you're right i i also hate cars 
I don't even like driving. I don't like anything to do with cars. Um, I understand the importance of them. Mm. And I love that people love cars. I am not one of said people. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I I used I loved the movie Gran Torino when I was younger. And I thought I wanted to have a Gran Torino. But uh, so I can understand the love for the, the old cars and the aesthetic. But I... Taking care of a car is just, you got to have a lot of money to have that hobby. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> well, let's get into this episode. What in <laughs> yes. the world were you thinking when you said, let's do a grab bag episode? What does that mean? Uh, uh, tell me. So you had mentioned that you had a lot of like, small things that you wanted to talk about or could talk about, but you weren't, but wouldn't fit in like a potluck or, um, you know, doing a full episode. And so I thought, you know, why don't we try and put all of those things in to one episode and it can be a grab bag episode and to make it more fun, we can put a bunch of stuff in a hat. Uh, we each have a hat. I actually, I have a, my son's, Fire hat, plastic fireman hat. Nice. nice. I've got my gardening hat that I absolutely love. Got this on my honeymoon, actually. Yeah. In Mexico. So, so we have a bunch of stuff uh, in a hat, and we're going to pick them out. Um, they're just little pieces of art that have shaped us, um, stories that have shaped us. Or big and, pieces that have shaped us in small ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but lots of all kind. I have games, uh, music, TV shows, books. Um, so variety. So we're gonna see. We're gonna see how it goes. Um, we don't know how many we're gonna do. We're gonna see how long. We. I mean, we can talk for a long time, as you know. What? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, who wants to go first? Should we flip a coin or something? Do you have a coin on you? I have a... Actually, I do. Yeah. Do you? Okay. On my desk. Okay, I'll call it in the air. On my principles of neuroscience. Text... My wife's textbook. Okay. Okay. Tails never... Tails never fails. It is tails. Woo! No, so not like the Bills uh, overtime lost to Kansas City. Um, okay, here we go. Ready? I think I've got like 13 or 14 in here. I'm just going to grab one. Uh, here it is. Uh, and it is important to say neither of us know what's in the other person, so it's possible we have overlaps. Probably it's not. It's possible. Oh, okay. This is... Hmm. Uh, so I just grabbed uh, the name of a book that I actually read in the last year. Um this is going to be a nice short one for me because um, it's impacted me, um, mm-hmm. uh, but not hugely. So I grabbed the book called Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nairi, narrated by Daniel Nairi. Mm. Um, and this is the story, the biography, some sorts, of um, Daniel Nairi, who was born in Iran and spent some years as a refugee before immigrating to Oklahoma at the age of eight with his mother and sister. 
uh, it is told uh, as an Iranian story uh, with that type of storytelling. So think mm -hmm. more of like um, Shahrazad's Thousand Nights, Thousand One Nights. Right. Um, and so it was a very different type of storytelling um, for me to listen to as a Westerner, um, which is part of the way it shaped me. Um, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I had it recommended to me. Um, and it's a story about his family and how they became refugees um, and their experience resettling in the United States. Um, for him, um, part of his story or their family's story is they went uh, with his dad. Uh, they had an amazing house in Iran. They went to England for a time to be with family. Uh, his dad at that time actually was a drug dealer um, oh. and smuggled drugs in the suitcases. Okay. Um, also like, very wealthy, just a very likable person. Like mm -hmm. everybody loves his dad. And while there, his sister, um, they were there for a while, um, in rebellion as a young kid, told her mom that she was a Christian. Uh -huh. um, which if you're Christian in Iran, um, it's a very dangerous thing. Yeah. And it was at that time. And so was, her mom's like, no, you can't be Christian. Um, but then through a series of events, her mom, his mom and his sister's mom actually became a Christian, um, went back to Iran, was part of an underground church there. Um, at a time where people were being disappeared um, mm. if they were Christian. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, and um, actually him and his sister and his mom ended up as refugees because of his mom's faith mm. um, and ended up in Oklahoma in this really backwater area. Um, and it's a very hard story to listen to. Um, but it's also like somewhat encouraging and, and challenging at different times. And very funny mm -hmm. tells the story of, of Iran is like where, where they lived and their house was just a beautiful, like palatial, <laughs> um, like the most expensive thing in all their houses was their rugs. Mm. Like that was more expensive than anything else in the house. Maybe sometimes even more expensive than a house. And he talks about like visiting a prince and then he uh, talks about being in the United States. And one of the big differences is uh, in Iran, they have, they squat to go to the bathroom and oh, then yeah. they use a bidet. Yeah. So it's actually cleaner process mm -hmm. and probably better for your body than sitting on the toilet. And so when they got to Oklahoma, they put a couple of bricks, sets of bricks next to their toilet. So they would continue to squat. <laughs> to the bathroom and he tells the story of the first time spending the night at a friend's house where he had to poop and it was an American friend and he didn't mm -hmm. know how to poop <laughs> as a kid sitting on a toilet and it's a very funny scene um, mm -hmm. and his dad comes to visit at one point and just the experience of that and I, I think it was one of the, the first stories that I was reading from the voice of a refugee mm -hmm. um, from a, a, a group of people that I know nothing about. 
I know nothing about living in Iran um, and about what their experience is. So that's what everything sad is untrue is um, mm. what questions do you have on it? What thoughts do you have? Why, why is everything sad untrue? It's a great question. So, I don't know if I have the answer to it from the book. Um, I think one of the pieces that was very true for him is when people, when Americans talked about Iran, they assumed everything was bad and that mm -hmm. he wanted to live in the United States and that life in the United States was better. But across the board, the answer to that is no. <laughs> he had a, they had a better life. They were on more family. Um, they were at a much higher socioeconomic class. Um, much more opportunities in some ways there than in the United States uh, living in a um, apartment building. His mom seems like the type of person that everybody should be friends with. She just seemed he, he the way he talks about his mom in this is is just amazing. She is by far the strongest person in his life ever. Mm. Like, and he talks about it. It's unclear whether or not he shares a, a faith with his mom. I, I think maybe not, but the way he talks about his mom's faith, there's no doubt in his mind that he knows for a fact that her faith is real yeah. um, and that it keeps her going. And she was like working two jobs, three jobs at a minimum to pay for things in a relationship with an abusive person cooking and caring for their family all at the same time. Are you talking about the difference between living um, in Iran for them and, and living in the U S reminded me of Hasna mm -hmm. uh, and her family. Yep. I, I ultimately enjoy after the last border significantly more mm -hmm. than Everything sad isn't true, but it's also written for me. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's written right. in a way yeah. that I would understand versus everything sad isn't true is, is not mm -hmm. in the same way. And there's something that, you know, as I was listening to it, and I, I listened to everything sad is untrue uh, before, after the last border. Um, and so I was, it was earlier on in my journey to understand the experience of a refugee and, and what it looks like to, to be a good neighbor. Thank you. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, let's see. Let's see what I got. <laughs> well, a much less uh, serious book a serious media piece of media. <laughs> um, I have NCIS. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's as far as shows go, it's more serious than most. Oh, sure. Um, not compared to uh, everything sad is untrue, but <laughs> uh, NCIS, uh, if you had asked me sometime around, uh, I don't know, like high school to, through probably through like sophomore year of college, what my favorite TV show was, I probably would have said NCIS. Okay. Um, 
and it's it's no longer my favorite TV show. I do have fond memories of it um, and the characters. But NCIS uh, stands for the Naval Criminal Investigative something. Services? The Naval Criminal Investigative Service. And I'm going to qualify that it is only the original NCIS. I was about to ask. Not okay, any of the, the NCIS Miamis or whatever's, New Orleans. Um, the original NCIS with uh, Mark Harmon as Gibbs. Um, and who are the other lo long running? There's Dinozo, there's Abby, uh, Polly Perrette as Abby, mm -hmm. Michael Weatherly as Dinozo, Sean Murray as McGee. Um, mm. And I apparently, I think NCIS is still. Is it still going? They just had season 20. Yeah. Okay. And it was it's renewed for first, a 21st season. The, but season 20 is the first without Gibbs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, and I was going to ask you what season you've watched up to. I think I've, I've seen through like five or six, maybe. Um, it used to come on TV, so I feel like I might have seen them out of date. But then you, Eric, you actually gifted me a set of NCIS DVDs. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. Were they from you or from Melanie? I, I'm pretty sure they were from you. Um, okay. How many did I, I give you? It was like six or seven. Or so. It was a lot. Okay. Um, I don't think I've watched all of them, but that I, I sort of refreshed my memory because I'd seen them sort of disjointedly. Um, mm -hmm. So I started at, at season one uh, mm -hmm. when you have uh, Caitlin oh. and then she, yeah, and then she dies. That. Yeah. That was uh, so crazy. I did not see that coming. Yeah. That was kind of a twist. And then they had um, replaced her with Ziva. Uh, mm -hmm. It was great. Like, um, and like NCIS is just the ship when I didn't know what to watch and I wanted to watch something when I was like, was folding the laundry or something and like, just wanted to not think for a little while <laughs> I'd put on NCIS. Um, and for me, NCIS was really. Kind of similar to Star Trek. It's about the characters. Um, it's about Gibbs and Dinozo and McGee and everybody. Um, and, you know, I think NCIS really does a lot of, at least when it was first coming out, um, I think it does a lot of, like, pretty good stuff with the way it is shot, the camera angles and things. It's really been a while since I watched it, but I remember watching some of the behind the scenes stuff. And they said, you know, they're really trying to innovate in the cinematography um, and kind of highlight the characters. Um, but it's also, it also has some like really ridiculous, it's kind of a, a little bit silly looking back. Like there's the hacking scene that's pretty famous now where um, somebody is hacking into Abby's computer. She's the forensic specialist. Mm -hmm. um, she has so much character and someone's hacking into the com her computer 
and she's like furiously typing on the keyboard, like all these crazy things are going on on the on the computer screen. And then uh, McGee, who is also is you know coded as a nerd, um, jumps on the keyboard next to her <laughs> and starts typing away too. So they're typing on the same keyboard, which is just ridiculous. Um, not real. Not not, not real at all. Like hacking okay. is not not like that at all. Um, but you know, it's, it's NCIS and, and Gibbs. I really liked Gibbs. I started drinking my coffee black because of Gibbs. <laughs> um, Did you start building a boat in your basement? No, not a boat in my basement. No. Uh, <laughs> thought about it. Um, but it, I still drink my coffee black. I actually came to like it black, but, uh, <laughs> oh hunter um yeah i mean i would still go back and watch it i mm -hmm. but i don't think i could once they i feel like once like ziva leaves or denozo leaves i don't think i've watched through when they left but once they leave i don't think i could i could do it because that's that's what ncis is for me is that that crew and so is um uh, not Ducky, but I think the the, the guy who was oh, with yeah. Ducky, mm -hmm. who is Ducky's assistant, the Remember? medical assistant, autopsy assistant. Yeah. yeah, Palmer, I think Palmer. Yeah, I think Palmer's still on. Oh, still is Ducky. My goodness, this show is just still going on. Yeah. Huh. How is Ducky still? I guess I did not know that actor is still around. I mean, it's mean, but 20 seasons is a long time. I feel like <laughs> it is. there can't be too many shows that have gone longer. I heard Grey's Anatomy since its last season now. Finally. I, Melanie and I started watching that when uh, we were uh, pregnant with our first. Mm. That was one of the shows we would watch and then yeah. when he was born, we'd watch it for a bit. I think we made it through the first three three seasons or so. Or four. Yeah. Um, we definitely got two Ziva. We got at least a season with her. Mm -hmm. I was very shocked with the Caitlin scene. Yeah, that was uh, pretty. It was pretty shocking. I think. It was gut wrenching. Uh, I was like, "What yeah. in the world?" Yeah. That has to be one of the better twists that's happened in a TV show. Unexpected. Yeah. NCIS, NCIS is the, the the most gruesome I can get in a show. <laughs> um, yeah. I can't do much more than that. Um, yeah, there's I, always... I did a, enjoy the character development. Yeah, there's always, uh, you know, some there's like recurring jokes that happen. One of them is someone will bring Gibbs coffee and he'll be like, that's not coffee. Um, he tastes it and spits it out. Another one is uh, people getting grossed out during autopsies. Um, mm -hmm. Happens all the time. I'm sure there's many more. <laughs> Abby's uh, drink. Oh, yeah. Slushy. <laughs> right, yeah. Big, big gulp, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Denozo throwing things or things being thrown at Denozo. Yeah. McGee being made fun of. Yeah, Denozo making fun of McGee. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Yep. My turn? All right. Yeah. It's a good one, Hunter. I enjoyed it. <laughs> good. Okay. What do we got? Oh. I got a special one here. I'm really no. excited about this. Um, so one of the TV shows, actually, the, do you know what the longest running sci-fi show is? The longest running sci-fi show? Mm-hmm. To Battlestar Galactica? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Oh, should have known that. You should have got that. Yeah. Um, so I remember when I first started watching Doctor Who, um, was it the the ninth doctor? Um, I mean, Christopher Eccleston. I think he's the ninth doctor, and the tenth was none other than David Tennant. Hmm. And I'm not going to bring together all of Doctor Who because I think that could be an entire episode. But could I be brought more than one episode. I brought my favorite or one of my favorite episodes, um, and I'm not a scary okay. things person. Um, if you have not seen this episode of Doctor Who, you need to watch it. Um, let me make sure I can get the actual title of it, because I wrote it down based off what I remember. Um, I think it's, okay. It's called Vincent and the Doctor. Have you seen this episode, Hunter? Does it have to do with Vincent Van Gogh? This is the story where Doctor Who goes and visits Vincent Van Gogh. It is absolutely amazing. Like, mm. there's no. <sighs> so, in this episode, Doctor Who, played by. Oh, this is actually by Doctor Who, played by Matt Smith. My goodness, I got that wrong. Matt Smith and Karen Gillan, who plays Amy Pond, go back in time to meet Van Gogh. And experience him plagued by invisible creatures known as the Crephaeus, 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 which only Van Gogh can see, can see. And like the idea is that's part of like what's leading to the way he draws things. Hmm. Kind of like the, the impressionist aspect of it and they Hmm. defeat it and their hope um, in defeating them is that he wouldn't die by suicide. Right. Um, and the, of course they don't end up changing history, but the most beautiful moment in this episode, um, Dr. Who and Amy Pond bring Van Gogh into the future to the, um, was it Musée d'Orsay? And... Van Gogh is there on a tour led by Bill Nye, the the actor, uh, not the scientist, um, <laughs> about the legacy and beauty of Van Gogh's work. Hmm. Um, because one of the big pieces of, of Van Gogh that is historically true is that he was not appreciated in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. He barely sold anything. Like people thought his art wasn't that impressive. And of course he's gone on to be one of the most famous artists in the history of humanity. And seeing the actor, 
um, make sure, and I didn't know him. Um, Tony Cor- Curran, who plays um, Van Gogh, seeing his reaction mm-hmm. and like the tears that are right there. It's just it is a an, an episode that will be heartbreaking and absolutely heartwarming simultaneously, hmm. and you they film it in such a way that you see the art brought to life, and you get to see the art, like see the re, like the the scenery, like Starry Nights and, and the cafe and the the bedroom. What I don't know all the names of these things through the eyes of Van Gogh. And it's been a few years since I've seen it, but it still comes back to my mind as just part of the reason why I love Van Gogh. <laughs> um, and part of the beauty, I think, that a TV show, especially even a, a sci-fi show, can do in mm-hmm. speaking to the soul. I got to go to a Van Gogh exhibit. Uh, it was kind of like a traveling exhibit think but they had a the the big gimmick was they had this whole room filled with 3d projectors um well not 3d just filled with projectors really big room like a gym size and they had this sort of they would project his paintings all over the walls of the room and on the floors and it was just kind of like this, they had music. It was a sort of narrated presentation Had excerpts from like his diaries and his letters. Um, and it was just this big presentation of his different phases of his art, you know, the sunflowers. Um, there's mm. the phases where he was influenced by like Japanese art. So there were like, um, you know, trees and flowers. And, um, yeah, just all the different, phases of Van Gogh and stuff. And uh, it was, it was pretty cool, but they also had, um, you know, his paintings up. I don't think they were real ones, but they were like really high, high def printed ones. um, So that Mm -hmm. you got a lot of detail and it it felt like looking at a real painting. Um, And I cried (laughs) when I was looking at a painting. That makes sense. (laughs) I cried during this episode. Have you seen this episode Hunter? No, I, I haven't watched watch much Doctor Who. It, it, the entire premise of Doctor Who is the Doctor goes back in time with a companion or two of companions mm-hmm. and into the future and experiences life. And there's always, uh, there's always some type of alien behind the scenes that is kind of creating what is going on and that they're def- the Doctor is there to save the day. This episode, I think, was probably good enough to win an Emmy. I don't think it did, but it is worth it. Even if you don't like Doctor Who, I've never heard of it um, or indifferent. Like, check out this episode. It will, it won't disappoint. All right. Thank you. What do I got? Okay, I have the album Zaba by Glass Animals. Okay. Uh, 
Have you listened to Glass Animals before, Eric? Not knowingly. <laughs> I I don't think they have much that's famous. Um, there, they have. Uh, there's Zaba. There's How to Be a Human Being is the other album. I think their newest one is Dreamland. Um, but oh, my favorite is Zaba. Um, I do, I do like how to be a human being. I didn't, wasn't crazy about Dreamland, but um, Zaba is like, it's a very strange concept album. I don't even, I'm not even sure what every song is about, but everything okay. is, it's like set in a jungle. <laughs> everything has this sort of like animal theme to it. All the lyrics are about like animals and things like a black mambo and, um, cocoa hooves. Uh, I'm going to pull up the toes. Walla walla. It's a, you know, it's pretty glass animals is a very, uh, they have a very unique sound. There's a lot of like synth, um, I wouldn't call what the guy does singing. It's it's more like like lyrical whispering almost. <laughs> um, it's singing, but it's like you wouldn't be able to hear him if we didn't have good microphones. Um, you know, which is is <laughs> what he's that's what he's doing. He's using the tools that he has. Um, but I really like yeah. the sound of Zaba, and like I'll just go through periods where I just like listen to Zaba for a while. Um, okay. over and over, um, kind of similar to what I do with the heat by need to breathe, um, or trench. I've been listening just... to need to breathe recently. Oh, nice. Uh, me okay. too, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think I'll, I'll highlight one song and then we can go to you, but, uh, that's the song black mambo. It's the second track. Um, and it's sort of like this dialogue and I can't say exactly who, who the characters are. The first verse is like, what will it be now? Mr. Mole whispers sloth in curls of smoke. Take a back seat or play Pharaoh dance with me and shake your bones. Um, and the, the whole repeat is like, slow down is a science. He's been waiting to bring you down. Snake guide with a sly smile. He can hold you and shake you, child. Um, and, and so it's just like the sloth feels very menacing um, as he's talking to Mr. Mole. <laughs> and it just feels like this, it, it's like a, it, it almost feels like a, like a cautionary song, like slow down. Uh, be careful about this guy. You know, he can hold you and shake you. Um, and there's a lot of like kind of nice uh, imagery going on with the lyrics. Um, leopards lays each on plush pillows, slender capes of red and chrome, paperback dreams in their deep does twitch their toes to black mambo. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a vibe. Um, good running music too. Uh, I run to Zaba as well, but um, that's uh, that's pretty okay. much it. I, I wouldn't say it's much more profound than that, but um, 
How did you get connected with? Uh, well, TJ actually recommended Glass Animals to me. Okay. Um, and I listened to How to Be a Human Being, uh, and uh, and Zaba was what they had out. And I really like Zaba. Um, I listen to it pretty frequently. Um, okay. Yeah. You never cease to amaze me, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> that actually reminded me of another one that I wanted to add to my my hat too. Oh, okay. I made sure to get a pair of scissors <laughs> so I could add it to my group. Um, okay. All right. Here we go. What do we got? So I also um, got a band, um, but okay. it's also a book. Um, this is not a group that has shaped me significantly. It is a group that I've been learning about because um, I know they've shaped the world. Um, and I took quite a few hours to uh, to listen to it. Uh, it is a, a band that I know you're not a great fan of, but I was uh, <laughs> jamming with... This? Uh, Caleb, my son, to it today. Um, I took over 20 hours to listen to this. Uh, and it is Surrender by Bono. Read by Bono uh, of the band U2. Um, they're yeah. of a different generation than us, right? It's mm. They're very much a few decades ahead above us, or older than us. Um, and uh, I I read this book recently. Uh, it's a pretty recent book on the recommendation of a friend, um, and knowing a bit about you two, um, mm-hmm. but not knowing too much. Uh, and it is a book by Bono that walks through the history of you two. It's a kind of a biography or an autobiography of the band. Oh uh, yeah, through through forty songs. The kind of focus on like 40 of their top songs. And it's, he tells, you know, the stories he tells are just, you know, stories that they're, they're the people that they're friends with, the way they interact with people is just that of a, they're a very long standing rock band that has stayed together mm-hmm. and like grown in their relationship with each other. Well, so many other bands have started and, and floundered and died along the way, uh, which is a, a very unique thing hmm. in and of itself to have a band, especially a band that became as big as you two mm. stay together. Um, and I was just struck by their story and we've talked about them kind of time a little bit here and there. <laughs> I remember you kind of gave a little bit of a cutting jab at them um, at one point on an episode after uh, we had talked about them before the episode started. Um, <laughs> you're calling them out for being bad Christian music or something like that. Oh, I didn't um, say that. Yeah, I totally remember it. Um, <laughs> and I just, I think you're wrong there. Um, but the, this, this, 
this movie, this book, this this book pointed me back to the Joshua Tree, hmm. which I think is such a good album. Um, if do, do you know Joshua Tree? Yeah. I mean, I still haven't found what I'm looking for with or without you or two of the big pieces from it. Obviously two of their biggest songs. Right. Um, and I was struck by Bono's openness and the way that he has always had it in his heart to not be about himself, even as he understands and calls out himself for being selfishness and having a huge ego. <laughs> um, mm. And it's, and I think that's what it's like to be human. He talks about his faith um, in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about the projects he's been part of. Um, one of the the ones that I just think is absolutely incredible that he was able to be part of was Jubilee 2000. Um, do you remember that? Or do you know anything about Jubilee 2000? I don't think so. Um, it is... Um, based off the idea of Jubilee um, in the Bible that on the um, every 50 years, the seventh, seventh year, Mm -hmm. all of Israel would let the fields lay fallow um, as a year of Jubilee of celebration, um, forgiveness of debts, um, kind of rewiping the slate. And the idea was that in 2000, um, the uh, there'd be a group of an international coalition movement in f- over 40 com- countries that called for cancellation of third world debt by the year 2000. Hmm. Um, and he was a big part of it. Bono was um, in getting people involved, meeting with the Pope and politicians and working across the aisle and politics in the United States, mm-hmm. even though he's from Ireland. Um, and I think it looks like their aim was to wipe $90 billion of debt from the lowest, from uh, developing or undeveloped countries. Um, and they at least, I can't remember, I don't know how much specifically, but they came close to that, if not hitting that goal. Um, cancellation of more than $100 billion of debt owed by the 35 of the world's um, you know, developing countries. Hmm. Uh, isn't that incredible? Yeah. Um. And like he just talks about, I mean, he's, he's a huge part of fighting against extreme poverty and HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, he's met his wife before they really were, he was ever in a band. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I was just really impressed of it. And, and maybe one way that this has shaped me, um, my family for, a few minutes. <laughs> uh, it felt like you know, a few weeks uh, in in high school. I attended a church um, where we accidentally became members. Accidentally, it was not purposeful. Um, <laughs> but 
Um, yeah, it's a different story. One of the weeks that we were there, there was a song played um, that I had never heard of before. And it's actually, um, I've, I, I've, I've started, I've hearted it in my, in my music. It is not one of their well-known songs, I don't think. It's a song called Magnificent. Hmm. Um, it's a song I'd point people to. Um, it, it's the primary lyrics are magnificent. Um, I was born, I was born to be with you in this space and time after that and ever, ever, ever after I haven't had a clue only to break rhyme. This foolishness can leave a heart black and blue. Oh, you know, it goes on a little bit, but it keeps coming back to this statement of magnificent. Um, only love, only love can leave such a mark, but only love, only love can heal such a scar. Justified till we die, you and I will magnify. Oh, 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 magnificent. Hmm. And I just heard this and it, it felt like, and I think, I think you two's best songs feel like this to me. They just feel like cries to God. Um, and I, I think that even Bono would agree that not all of their songs are like that. Not all of them <laughs> hit the mark. I think he says that something in that he's like, we're a band with a lot of fine songs and a few great songs. <laughs> and I think some of their songs just really speak that out. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I, yeah, I got to learn more about the edge and the other members of the band. And, you know, we've talked about the edge and how the edge is the edge. Um, and Bono's very clear that there would be no U2 without The Edge. Mm-hmm. Like, um, as far as musically, he was, at least at a younger age, far steps, leaps above them all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Surrender by Bono. Uh, it, it's a long read. It's it's fun. There were many times in the middle of it that I was like, hey, Melody, did you know that? Did mm. you know Bono did? Do you know he had a... Yeah. <laughs> and not, a, not yeah. too many of them have stuck with me, but uh, I, I, it also reading that book pushed me back into watching Super Bowl halftime shows <laughs> um, because they they're really famously in 2001 did the the Super Bowl halftime show, right? I guess it was in 2002, but it was for the 2001 season, and the way in which an Irish band was the perfect group to unify and communicate the pain and the, the resiliency of America post nine 11. That's a concert that that's a, a halftime show that I think anybody should watch. It'll, it'll give you chills. Hmm. It's among the best halftime shows that I think there have ever been. Okay. Maybe sometime we'll have a more in-depth discussion about you two. Uh, in which I can clarify that I don't have anything. It's it's like a Taylor Swift situation where I just don't, I don't like you two that much. And I feel like everyone else loves them. And so... It makes me feel like people think that I 
hate them, which I don't. I just don't really. I'm just not crazy about their music. I mean, I like Surrender and and With or Without You, and you know those those great songs that Bono says they have. Um, but I just I'm not. You oh, know, it's just I, taste. I'm not it's, a yeah. I'm not a big YouTube <laughs> fan. I, I I can't name probably a tenth of their songs, but I the songs that I know I enjoy. A couple yeah. of them I skip through, but <laughs> yeah. So. All right, so you have done three, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, this is my third. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have put it in the hat if I, I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, you could put it back and choose another one. I don't care. <laughs> it's Gran Torino. What do you get? Gran Torino. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I suppose it's thematic. Um, Cause I mentioned it earlier when I was pouring one out for cars. Uh, similar to NCIS, if you had asked me, you know, up to about like sophomore, junior year of college, I would have said that my favorite movie is Gran Torino. Um, okay, I see it. And I still like it. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, it's a very good Clint Eastwood movie. It might yes. be one of his best. It's one of his best. Yes, it it's is probably good, the best one he's done as an old man. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. Uh, Clint Eastwood is a gr- disgruntled old man. Um, he's a Korean War veteran. He's was a Ford factory worker, and um, he is recently widowed uh, after his his wife passes after you know a very long um, and presumably happy marriage. Um, so he's pretty sad, but he has a nice car. He has a Gran Torino. He was a Ford factory worker. Um, and it, I guess he got this car uh, after his retirement. And it's kind of like his prized possession. Um, next door to him um, are Hmong immigrants. Um, and the, there's a young boy. He's like, I think he's like, 18 or 19 or something. And he is kind of coerced into this Hmong gang uh, by his cousin. And in order to initiate him into this gang, they want him to steal the Gran Torino, um, (laughs) which he tries to do and fails. Um, And uh, Walt, who is Clint Eastwood's character, is he's he's kind of racist. I mean, it's not um, he is. Yeah, he is. And That's there's how it various starts. yeah, there's there's various points where he you know he's the famous line is "Get off my lawn," um, which I think he says like earlier in the movie, and then at one point later on in the movie, um, the 
gang members, I think, are like out in his lawn. And he comes out with his old M1 Garand from the Korean War. And he's, he says, get off my lawn. <laughs> um, and let's see, it's been a long time. I, I've watched it quite a few times, but not in a while. I wonder how this movie would sit now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I don't know how well it's aged. Um, but the general premise is that he, his heart is changing. Yeah. Right. It's it's not that he's the savior of the situation, even though it does have a yeah. white savior complex vibe. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think what happens is Tao, who is the boy next door who tries to steal the t- Grand Torino, um, it's sort of like to pay Walt back. Um, he works for Walt um, and Walt teaches him uh, like construction and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both sort of gain like a mutual ex- uh, respect for one another. Um, and the climax of the movie, uh, Tao's sister, who's a little bit older than him, she is... Um, kidnapped by the gang members um and oh the whole thing yeah it's pretty bad um (sighs) yeah so so what happens is um the gang assaults Tao on the way home from work and then walt sort of visits their house and uh you know gives them a warning and to retaliate um content warning here that they rape Sue and they uh, almost kill Tao in a drive-by shooting. Um, and the community refuses to p- report the crimes out of fear. And so Tao is outraged and he goes and tells Walt. And Walt, um, if you've seen a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, as I have, um <laughs> You usually you figure out how this is gonna go. You know, Clint Eastwood. He goes to the barber shop. He gets a, a nice, uh, shave. He goes to the store, um, the tailor, and he gets a nice tailored suit. Um. And it makes looks makes him. He he goes to the, um. Father, and he makes a confession. <laughs> So you think, okay, so Clint Eastwood is going to, uh, you know, go and um, be Dirty Harry or uh, Mm -hmm. one of the outlaws or whatever. Because, you know, he carries around a revolver in the movie. um, (laughs) And it's very clear that he has lots of guns. And so you think he's going to go and, uh, you know, get revenge on this gang. and what happens is he he ends up sort of tricking Tao and locking him in the basement because Tao wants to go. Tao wants to get revenge um, for his mm-hmm. sister. And so Walt goes and he does this thing that he did earlier in the movie where he takes out finger guns and he, he he's out in front of the gang's house and he goes, he like makes a, he goes bam, bam, bam at all of the gang members. And earlier in the movie, he had reached into his, 
truck and pulled out an actual gun when that had happened earlier yeah. and scared them off. And so mm -hmm. he does the same. He reaches into his jacket and they all shoot him because Everyone. they think that he's going to pull a gun and he dies. And uh, the police come um, and sort of, you know, they arrest the gang members. Um, and so he sort of does get revenge, but not by killing the gang members. Uh, and he also kind of prevents Tao from committing a crime. Um, yeah, and going down dying. the path. Right. So that, that's the movie. Um, I liked it because I had seen a lot of Clint Eastwood movies and it was an unexpected ending to a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, at the time, you know, I liked Jeff, I liked Gibbs a lot. Um, and that's sort of like tough, grizzled um, way of being. <laughs> uh, I identified with and I admired. And, you know, I still am kind of a curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like to think I'm, I'm, you know, curmudgeonly about the right things now. Um, more so, I still have some things that I know are kind of ridiculous, but um, that was what I connected to Gran Torino with, um, with okay. Clint Eastwood's performance. And I, I don't really know how I feel about it now. I mean, it's not my favorite movie because like you said, it is kind of like a white savior story. Um, almost literally because he sacrifices himself. Uh, yeah, no, it is. It is. Yeah, definitely. It is. Um, we, but uh, it it's, it's better than a lot of his other movies. I'll say that. Um, I also haven't <laughs> seen this in so long, but I remember watching it and loving it. Um, yeah. Really being impressed by it and kind of shaken a little bit. Um, it was one of the first ones I think my family had on Blu-ray. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, that ages it. Yeah. I had the soundtrack. Clint Eastwood sings at the end. Um, my grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is. I still like it. I think, I think I would like it if I watched it, but not quite as much as I did. Um, yeah. Just because of the white savior thing, it's kind of hard to, hard to support it. <laughs> it's you know? also just like glorifying the old West and cowboys. It's just, I, I'm past that. I think our society's past that too. Yeah. I mean, there's a show called the Yellowstone. I think that is, is yeah. still going, um, which like, it's not that it's bad. Kevin Costner. Yeah. But like, there's a lot of untold stories about mm -hmm. the West and uh, America that I think, you know, we've, we've told the cowboy stories enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's time to tell the other stories. Um, but you know, Grand Torino is not, not a Western. Yeah. Okay, my last one for tonight, and 
I'm glad I got this one. Um, so I brought some show and tell items for this. Um, you know, I love my garden and, um, a storyteller that I've come to enjoy quite a bit and a set of stories is from the whole seed catalog hmm. by Baker's Creek. Baker's Creek started about 25 years ago, actually almost exactly 25 years ago as a rare seed heirloom variety catalog um, in a little tiny little place. And oh my goodness, whereabouts are they located in Missouri? And they have just become the largest heirloom seed um, company, at least in the uh, United States, if not North America. Wow. Um, every year they put forth um, a regular whole seed catalog, like this one. It's a smaller one. Uh, but just the, the pictures of these heirloom varieties that you oh, can yeah. purchase. They're stunning. And like they tell histories of them. Let me just find the tomatoes. I just love the tomatoes. Um, hmm. Isn't that stunning? Yeah. And they, they tell the stories of these, these beautiful pieces. Um, this is the first catalog I've ever wanted to get. My sister got me, my sister and brother-in-law got me like the whole seed, like the, the full paid, like the one that you pay for versus the one that comes for free in the mail last year. Mm. And it's just, it tells stories and it has pictures of practically each and every single, this is okra, pretty sure. Wow. Yep. It's red okra. Isn't that like, and yeah. they've got pictures of like their kids holding these things up. Um, let me find you a, a story that, uh, okay. I'm just, it, I, so I love it so much that I actually went out and bought um, <clears throat> a few um, seeds from them. I bought about 35 packets of seeds um, for my garden this past year. And um, many, I started a lot of them inside, and the ones I started inside for forever reason failed. Hmm. But the ones I've started outside have done really well. And I'm trying to find if I can find the story about apples. Um, because it was in this book that I, this cat, I read this entire book. It is a seed catalog. <laughs> wow. I like looked through and I read pretty much every single one of them. Maybe not every, every single one of them, but close to it. Um, okay. I can't find the one about apples, which makes me sad, but I can find one about tomatoes. Let me see if I can find the specific tomato that I want to share with us. It's got a story to go with it. You know how soon as you're looking for a thing, it just disappears? Mm -hmm. um, well, can't find it right here, but one of the tomatoes I grabbed this year um, was the Abraham Lincoln tomato. And it is a specific variety from... Illinois, actually, that um, has been saved through 
a connection of some random person in some random place, like saved the seed um, that used to grow, um, that Abraham Lincoln used to eat growing up. Hmm. And it was saved and they've been able to bring it back into like regular production. Wow. As Abraham Lincoln's thing. So it's, uh, have you ever heard of Svalbard? Have you ever told you about that? No. It's a seed vault. It's, it's the seed vault at the North Pole. Hmm. Um, neither Sweden or Norway. And it's where heirloom varieties of seeds are saved hmm. um, to protect the genetic. It's a doomsday vault, pretty much, to protect the genetic diversity of seeds in the world. Oh, okay. Um, and so, like, one of the best examples of it is, um, I think it was in Afghanistan, there were a bunch of seeds that were sent to Svalbard, Svalbard, Svalbard. Um, to be saved um, mm -hmm. prior to specific bombings that happened mm -hmm. um, where if they hadn't been sent and saved, they actually would have been destroyed. Um, and one of the biggest, one of the most important things about having genetic diversity in the seeds is that helps you prevent things like the Irish potato famine, mm -hmm. um, not just for flavor, you know, not just for beauty, but also for, you know, preservation of life hmm. um and there's some really incredible history in which you can figure out where a specific type of thing started based off of the number of varieties that exist in a region hmm. so like um i can't i don't have a good one that comes right to the top of my mind but um let's think about maybe corn or maize like right. that's a new world like north american primarily thing and so you'd expect to find more varieties growing in nature in the in the new world, North or South America, than anywhere else. Yeah. And then from there, you could even find more specifically where are they growing in, you know, the most intensity. Um, here, I, I found one. It wasn't either the tomatoes or, or the other pieces. But this is something my my parents grew this a few years ago. It's called Celtis. You ever huh. heard of Celtis? No. It it's a celery stalk with a lettuce head. Yeah. Here's their story. The amazing Celtis. The Burpee 1942 catalog called it the most sensational new vegetable. From their half page of customers' rave reviews, Celtis was given to my four-year-old and she devoured it like she would an ice cream cone. And Celtis is certainly a most unusual vegetable. I served it in various ways to different people, persons, and everyone found it delicious and commented on its elusive flavor that makes you want more. Hmm. Delicious cucumber-flavored crisp stalks from ancient China. A very unique lettuce grown for its giant crunchy stems that are tasty raw or cooked. The leaves can also be used as greens. This is a totally new type of vegetable for most Americans, although it was introduced from China in the 1840s. They're quite delicious and high in vitamin C. So that's one. And then here's the other piece I'll share from this. Um, and and right before I do that, I'll just show Hunter some of the, the seeds I, I bought this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got cucumbers and onions and poppies and cilantro and kohlrabi. If you haven't had kohlrabi mm. before, check it out. Um, carrots. Delicata squash, beets, purple and green beans, butternut squash, eggplant, 
peas, parsley, kale, basil, collards, thyme. Didn't really grow another version of basil. My tomatoes didn't do well. Neither did my broccoli or peppers. I'm sorry. Let's see if I can get something coming out of those. It should be a leap. Um, I just I love them. Their 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 catalogs are beautiful. Um, apples. So my favorite fruit is an apple. Probably my favorite food as a whole. You know that, Hunter. <laughs> I eat two apples a day on average. Um, wow. Yes. Even in June, do I do that? And I always thought they were native to the United States, just given how many apples we have. But it actually, what does two out, apples a day do to the doctor? Uh, keeps the the dentist away as well. <laughs> um, or one might say it starts growing apple trees inside of me. <laughs> um, apples are local to. Do you know what country they're local to? Uh, I don't know. Tajikistan. Okay. The apple originated in Central Asia and has been cultivated there for thousands of years. So it talks about the history of them, um, the experience of one of their, um, the people that writes for like, or corresponds with the, um, look at this, with Baker Creek. Going there uh, has a quote. Even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. That hmm. is quoted by Martin Luther. Okay. Yes, the Martin Luther posted the ninety-five theses. Yes. Um, one other piece I want to share about them. They have, and I, I read this well enough that I remember that this existed. They have a little piece about Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> um, Johnny Appleseed was actually a guy named John Chapman. In reality, instead of spreading apple seeds for nutritious fruit, which is kind of the story about him, Chapman was an opportunist, opportunistic orchardist and successful businessman. I'm going to read a couple mm -hmm. paragraphs about him. In the late, late 1700s, the Ohio Company of Associates offered 100 free acres to any homesteader west of Ohio who could prove permanent residence. In order to prove their commitment to residency, homesteaders needed to plant at least 50 apple trees on their property. Chapman traveled through the west, planting orchards from seed just ahead of pioneer expansion, selling the, the trees or planted land to homesteaders. Chapman uh. always grew all of his trees from seed. He belonged to a religion that frowned upon the barbaric practice of grafting trees, giving credence to his caricature depiction, carrying around a large sack of apple seeds. Smart guy. Yeah. In those days, apples were not grown for eating, but for drinking as hard cider. Right. Due to lack of infrastructure and the threat of contaminated water, Drinking hard cider was considered more safe for settlers. Most of Johnny's apple trees no longer exist. They were chopped down by axe-wielding federal agents during Prohibition to sever America's source of hard cider. Though the real Johnny Appleseed was more of a businessman than a wayfarer, he truly did travel barefoot wearing threadbare clothes, but this was because of his religious convictions 
and personal preference. Okay. That comes in the middle of a seed catalog. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But Hunter, what do you got for us? How are you going to well, close this off tonight? The last one, I added a couple based on yours, but uh, who knows if I'll get them. Last one. I have Epic by Connor Costick. I mentioned this book on our uh, Ready Player One episode. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, this is a book where uh, the a human society uh, has all their entire economy is based on an immersive virtual reality video game. Um, and it was written in, uh, written in 2004. Ready Player One was written in 2011, for reference. Um, and in this world, the most powerful people are the ones uh, you know, who have the most in-game currency and have the most, uh, the best characters in the game. And uh, everyone else um, has to, you know, grind by killing low-level kobolds and orcs and things um, because there's permadeath. If you die in the game, you your character resets entirely. You lose all of your money and all of your possessions which is disastrous uh, because it would oh be goodness. like your house burning down <laughs> or something like that. Because, um, you know, all of your, you know, everything depends on the in-game currency. And, um, you know, there's, it's sort of a corrupt system. The people at the top, <laughs> like the main council who are the most powerful, are not really interested in sharing that power. Um and it's a really pretty well put together plot. I read this book in like middle school, I think like eighth grade. I think my friend Josh read it um, and he gave it to me to read it. And I gave it to uh, another one of our <laughs> friends to read it <laughs> because um, it was at a time when we were like playing RuneScape. Um, oh yeah. And <laughs> RuneScape is a, for those who don't know, <laughs> It's a role-playing game online that, that you all you need is a browser that you can play it, um, and, you know, level up your character and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and this really scratched that itch in a really creative way. Um, and in my opinion, it is miles better than Ready Player One um, because it's interesting. It's not full of exhausting references to pop culture. It has a character that grows and thinks about his actions. Um, Whoa. How about that? Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a really fun ride uh, once, you, once you get into it. I've read it, I think, two or three times now. Um, it's part of a series. I haven't actually finished the series. I know I'll finish it eventually, but... Um, Epic is really kind of, I have a have a special place for it, uh, you know, because I read it when I was young, and I reread it again, and I still enjoyed it, um, which doesn't always happen. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll say one more interesting thing about the world in the story, or maybe two more things, uh, and then we'll wrap up. But um, they decide disputes in the game um, in an arena. So, okay. As part of the plot, uh, Eric, I think his name is, he's actually, I think his name is Eric. He's the main character in the novel. <laughs> yeah. With a K Eric Haroldson. Um, sorry. Mm. Not, no, the C. Um, but they have a dispute about tractors cause they, they farm, um, in the real world. And they need to buy new tractors or something, and the council kind of denies them. Um, and so there is, they have a dispute. They challenge the council to a match in the arena, which, you know, everyone thinks they're going to lose because the council has, you know, really high level characters. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but there's a twist where, you know, they don't actually lose. Um, and it's sort of like Eric is very curious about the game. He wants to know about it. He like is obsessed with trying to kill a dragon. Um, he's, he's reset like three different characters because he keeps trying to kill this dragon. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they, they eventually figure it out. Um, sort of like how in Ready Player One, they start out very like pretty poor. Wade Watts and, and co are not the best off. And then, well, I guess just Wade Watts, he's pretty penny pinching, uh, he, cause he has to, and then he gets famous and gets more resources and they're sort of similar. They kind of, uh, you know, get more resources and things, but, um, it happens more naturally. And, and, uh, there's also, uh, characters created by the game and there's one the ter terrifying villain you think the villain is the council and then you find out there's an even more terrifying villain hmm. in the game um that the it's like a character from the game who has figured out how to interface with the virtual reality hardware that they use to like influence people in the real world um creepy yeah uh and there's a there's a big battle at the end um and it's just a lot of fun. Um, Sounds epic. It is epic. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, uh, Eric. I, I can't see your face. Your video has... Yeah, I don't know what's up. I've been trying. Gone dark. But um, I had fun. I... I Thank you for bringing good grab bag things. I feel like mine were not as interesting or I wasn't able to make them as interesting, but I hope, I hope it was fun. <laughs> I, I really enjoy this. I want to do this again. I'm wondering if we should try to like speed up our, our pieces so we can get five each. Yeah. Like 10 minutes, you know, or less than 10 minutes for, for each. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and I like the breadth of of things. And I think this is a really good thing to come back to. Definitely. Uh, and listeners, if you have a recommendation of something <laughs> that we should do a grab bag on, um, 
I will gladly talk about something I know nothing about like I do. So <laughs> feel free to recommend something to me and uh, I can uh, try to make it up in the spot. <laughs> or, you know, um, recommend it. talk about Zaba, you know. It's like ABBA, but, you know, from A to Z. It's like Alpha and Omega ABBA. Uh, brings the Z in ABBA. Um, you know what they see, say, Zayamia, here we go again. Zamamia, Zazazia. Here we go again. That's all I could think of when you were talking about Zaba. <laughs> it's a good album. I still have lots of things left in my hat, too. Um, oh my goodness, I got so many things in my hat. More, I think I might have more things in my hat now than we just started. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you, if you do actually have suggestions for us, I, I am on Twitter and Mastodon at hdanson. I don't really have any followers, so you could be the first. Um, Whoa! Yeah, to add and me. I am at my kitchen table, uh, dining room table. So right. if you know where that is, um, please do not come find me during one of these episodes. That'd be really uncomfortable. But <laughs> feel free to send me a text. As you know, we are incredibly great at marketing. And <laughs> yes. So, uh, share us with your friends. Like and subscribe. <laughs> and since we are definitely not a ratings podcast, don't give us any <laughs> Give us five stars. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on that, I bid you adieu. Good night. Good night. Or good morning. Whenever you listening. But for us, it's good. Yes. Cheers. Cheers.